Good morning. I am Wimala, and today is Thursday, March the 3rd. And we have some sunshine here today, but clouds in the sky, kind of like the world right now. There's some, some sunshine and a lot of clouds in the sky. So um, I hope your spirits are doing well, even as you have compassion and feel the suffering of the people in the U in Ukraine. Uh, this is part of samsara, and hopefully you found a way to, to work with your own feelings about it and to notice if others around you are not handling it really well. It's, uh, there's so much on, on the news, and even just listening to the radio, uh, for me, it, there's an overwhelming amount going on. And, and this is our world, and it hurts. So keep remembering to, have, to make your intentions every day be for the, the, be, the people who are suffering, the animals who are suffering, and also we need to send compassion and loving kindness to, to, the, to the oppressor, to the, to the, the, the side that we like that we would like to think of as you know the bad guys, <laughs> the bad, the the invading country, and we have to let go of that duality and think, sending compassion to them as well. That's where it's hard. That's where it becomes the hardest. Uh, even when it doesn't feel like we want to do it, or that they deserve it. We know that everyone is, we are just like everyone. Everyone is just like us. And uh, there was something wonderful that I shared on my Facebook page this morning that uh, when, and I think the invaders into Ukraine, there's a lot of greed at work. And uh, the first thing that this article said was uh, when it's hard to feel compassion or kindness towards greedy people. I can stop and think of the times I've been greedy in my own life and realize, oh, okay, I, I understand that. I understand greed. And then we can, that can help us bridge that gap between us and that other person. Uh, so whenever we see someone in what we think of as their unskillful or uh, their defilements and greed being number one, it's important to remember, oh, we're greedy too. And we're just seeing it on a scale that we, we don't comprehend very well. And I hope everyone's doing okay and coming back to your breath all the time, whenever you can, and just realizing that we have to be, we have to be spreading loving-kindness and compassion uh, to, to everyone, to all living beings, and recognize some of those qualities that we dislike the most or the qualities that we, we've, we have those kernels in us too. So we are now on Chapter 6 in our book, Bhikkhu, Buddhadasa Bhikkhu's book, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree. And 
it's a, it's an appropriate book to be reading about a book about selflessness and uh, watching what's going on in the world. This chapter is void of I and mine. And I think for most of us, it's that mind that gets us, right? I, I, this is, this, whatever this issue is, this person, who this person is, the situation, when we think of it as, it's mine, then we get involved with it. We get, uh, it brings all kinds of things. So this is chapter six, void of I and mine. Now we come to the sunyata, which, when it is seen, brings contentment and nibbana. We must thoroughly understand that the first level of voidness is absence of the feelings of I and mine. If those feelings are still present, the mind is not void, it is busy with grasping and clinging. We can use the word void to mean freedom from the feeling of self and the sense that things belong to self. We can use the words busy or disturbed to mean confused, depressed, and in turmoil with the feelings of I and mine. What are the characteristics of being void of the I and mine feelings? In the scriptures, one teaching of the Buddha lists four items in two pairs. To feel that there is nothing which is me, without worry or doubt that anything might be me. To feel that there is nothing which is mine, without worry or doubt that anything might be mine. These are the characteristics of being void of the I and mind feelings. So let me read that again. To feel there is nothing which is me without worry or doubt that anything might be me. To feel that there is nothing which is mine without worry or doubt that anything might be mine. We may be aware that there is nothing which is me but sometimes there remains some anxiety that there just might be something which is me. We feel that there is nothing which is mine, but we can't help doubting whether there may in fact be something which is. There must be an absolute, unshakably clear awareness that there is nothing which is self and nothing that we need to worry about as possibly being self that there is nothing which belongs to self and nothing to wonder about, to worry over, to doubt, or to wait for as being ours. At the moment that someone's mind is freed from these four things, there exists what the Buddha maintained as voidness. The commentary sums it up concisely. These are the commentaries, you know, the studies connected to the suttas that came, these are commentaries that came later. And this is, these are the two lines from the commentary. Not taking things to be self, not taking things as belonging to self. And that is sufficient. When this ego grasping consciousness is gone, try to imagine what there would be. 
One doesn't look on anything, anywhere as ever having been, as currently being, or as having the potential to become self or a belonging of self. There is no self in the present and no basis for anxiety regarding self in the present, past, or future. The mind has realized sunyata through being, through seeing clearly that there is nothing at all that can fulfill the meaning of the word self and belonging to self. All things are dhammas, natural things, simply elements of nature. So that's all we're trying to see, is that everything that we think of, this is mine, this is me, this, it, these are all, we're just seeing all different aspects of nature. This is, this is nature, this, nature doesn't belong to me. Breathe, my, the body breathing doesn't belong to me. Those squirrels out there enjoying the food, they don't belong to me. I call them, I often find myself calling them my squirrels. So, this is a concept that's difficult for us. But when you look out in nature and we see how nature operates, there's no ownership. All things are dhammas, natural things, simply elements of nature. Mind is sunyata. Remember, sunyata is that void, voidness, void of I and mine. Mind is sunyata. Such is the mind that is one with sunyata. If we say that the mind has attained or realized voidness, some people will understand that the mind is one thing and voidness another. To say that the mind comes to know voidness is still not exactly correct. To say that the mind comes to know voidness is still not exactly correct. Please understand that if the mind was not one and the same as voidness, there would be no way for voidness to be known. In its natural state, the mind is sunyata. The mind is part of that, not me, not mine. An alien foolishness is what interferes with and obstructs the vision of voidness. An alien foolishness. Consequently, as soon as foolishness departs, the mind and voidness are one. The mind then knows itself. It doesn't have to go anywhere else to know anything. It holds to the knowing of voidness, knowing nothing but freedom from self and belonging to self. It is this voidness that is the single highest teaching of the Buddha, so much so that in the Samyutta Nikaya, the Buddha says that there are no words spoken by the Tathagata, and that's another name for uh, the Buddha. There are no words spoken by the Tathagata that are not concerned with sunyata. He says in this discourse, in the, the, the sutta, that the most profound teachings are those which deal with voidness and that everything else is superficial. 
Only the teaching of sunyata is so profound that an enlightened tathagata must appear in the world in order to teach it. Other matters are superficial and don't require a tathagata's appearance. So that was the one concept that brought the Buddha down. If we think about the uh, teachings of the Buddha, a new Buddha doesn't reappear on the earth until the old teachings are gone. And so, obviously, it was time for this, the, the, what, uh, what Buddhists think was the, the teaching that had been lost was the teaching on sunyata. And this is Buddha Dasa's, the point he's trying to make. That's why it's such an essential teaching. Well, let's see. Do we have time to read a little bit more, or should we stop? This is a lot to, to uh, work with, isn't it? Let's look a little bit. Um, I'm going to read a little bit more because it's still looking at the suttas. Sunyata for lay people. In another passage from the Samyutta Nikaya, the Buddha says that sunyata is the dhamma, is the phenomena, is that part of nature, that is always of long-lasting benefit and support for lay people. There is the account of a group of wealthy people, lay people, going to visit the Buddha and asking for a dhamma that would be of long-lasting benefit and welfare to householders. Those who are hampered by spouse and children, those who are ham- the, how, these are the, this is the description he has of the householders. Those who are hampered by spouse and children, the wearers of sandalwood paste and perfumes. In reply, the Buddha taught them this sutta with about sun. In reply, the Buddha taught them this sutta about sunyata. When they objected that it was too difficult, he dropped a subject level no lower than the practices leading to stream entry. That's so, that's the sotapati yanka, which is the genuine realization of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, along with the virtuous conduct that is satisfying to the noble ones. In fact, these lay people were being lured into a trap by the Buddha. He neatly caught them in his snare. To be to speak in coarse everyday terms, he would swindle them. They said they didn't want sunyata, but the Buddha gave them something that would prevent escape from sunyata, the lasso that would pull them into it. For there is only one way to truly realize the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and to have the virtuous conduct that is satisfying to the to the uh, uh, noble ones or the enlightened ones, and that way is to continually see the few the futility of grasping and clinging. Now, do you think the Buddha was wrong in saying that sunyata is a matter for lay people? If he was right, then these days we must be crazy, utterly wrong because we believe that sunyata is not a matter for householders, but it is a matter only for those who are going to Nibbana, wherever that is. That's how people talk. 
And Buddhadasa was a Thai teacher, so he's talking about other teachers there. Here the Buddha is talking in a different way, saying that this subject of sunyata is of direct benefit and welfare to lay people. So who is right and who is wrong? If the Buddha is right, we must agree to investigate the truth of his words. The way to do this is to examine which people have the most suffering and distress, which people's minds are most in the middle of the blast furnace. None but lay people. That being so, who must needs who most needs something to quench that fire, to completely destroy dukkha in its every aspect? Again, lay people. Those who are in the heat of the fire must look for the means of quenching it there in its midst, because there is no place to struggle and escape to. Everything is fire. Nothing exists which doesn't blame into flames the moment it is grasped. Thus, one must find the point of absolute coolness right there in the middle of the fire. I love this sentence. There, Thus, one must find the point of absolute coolness right there in the middle of the fire. That point is voidness, freedom from self, and the belongings of self, or sunyata. Lay people must discover sunyata and dwell within its sphere. If one is able, unable to live right at its central point, then at the very least one should dwell within its sphere or have a reasonable knowledge of it. Dwelling within the sphere of sunyata is reckoned to be of long-lasting benefit to lay people. This group of people ask what would be of long-lasting, he's back talking about the people who come to the Buddha. This group of people ask what would be of long-lasting benefit to them. The Buddha answered, Dhamma directly connected with sunyata transcends the world. To transcend the world is to transcend the fire. To be directly connected with sunyata is to be void of clinging to things as self or as belonging to self. So the saying, Dhammas directly connected with sunyata transcend the world is a gift from the Buddha, especially for lay people. The Buddha insisted on this in his own words. Please consider anew how necessary it is that we give attention to this subject. Is it not, in fact, the only subject worth discussing? In another sutta, the Buddha clearly states that sunyata is nibbana and that nibbana is sunyata, freedom from defilements and dukkha. Therefore, nibbana is a fit subject for lay people too. If lay people still don't know the meaning of nibbana, they have not yet dwelt within its sphere. They must live in the midst of fire more than any other group of people. So that's how important it is. And he's he's saying that uh, people with jobs and families and work and living in a community and living where they have to take part in uh, uh, politics and where they have to be aware of what's going on in the world and where they have to get along with their neighbors and get along with their family and take care of everybody. 
these are the people, regular, ordinary people like you and me, these are the people who need to understand this concept. It isn't just a scholarly concept to help uh, I you know to help people understand the teachings of the Buddha. It's a concept to help help our lives be better and how, how to help us get uh, away from the fire. <laughs> so it's not uh, the solution isn't to uh, get away from the world. The solution is when we're living in the world, how do we stay away from the fire? How can we, how can we uh, position ourselves to be safe from that fire that's consuming everything? So <clears throat> let me take a sip of this and then we can sit for a few minutes. So just, these are lots of what we always think of as kind of heavy, as heavy thoughts, heavy um, concepts. But just imagine if you could let go of taking ownership of everything around you. How liberating would that be? Because it, our, it's our attachment to, our, to that uh, that clinging relationship that's causing the pain, that causes suffering. And true love doesn't cling. So why don't we just sit and take a few minutes to nurture ourselves that any kind of a better understanding about ourselves will help us in dealing with others. So I think working with a difficult concept like this can really help us find uh, a way to be in the world that create that where we're creating less suffering for ourselves. And we're doing no harm. We're doing no harm to others. Because clasping and clinging to others is harmful to them as well. Let's just be with the body breathing. Just come back to each breath. Let your mind settle down. Let it relax. Just let go. 
Just feel everything, let go, and then let be. I think when we let it be or let things be, that's when we're getting closer to the to sunyata. If you feel the mind getting distracted, if you feel thoughts arising, just come back to your breath. Even when we're faced with a crisis in the world, and there's, there are crises constantly somewhere in the world, <clears throat> when we practice, when we sit down for meditation, we still always, <clears throat> excuse me, we still always begin with ourselves. Coming back to ourself is that first step towards peace. So we begin with ourselves, and then we just gradually move out further and further. When we begin with ourselves, we're creating peace within ourselves. And this is the only way peace moves out into the world. It comes from within human beings. So start with yourself.
We can let go of how to solve problems or how to fix things, how to fix people. And just think about what we can do with loving kindness and compassion for ourselves as well as others. We can move out <clears throat> in our thoughts to our loved ones, to our community, to our country. And we can still be feeling that it all has to come and start within our own hearts. And then all of the living beings in Ukraine who are suffering, humans, animals, and all of the people who are causing the suffering, they are suffering too. Send out loving kindness to all beings involved in these horrible situations we know are going on in our world and send out loving kindness and compassion to all of the helpers, all of the people waiting to give food and shelter to refugees once again. All of the people who are helpers May peace be with each one of you. And may everything we do today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all sentient beings everywhere. With special thoughts to the people of Ukraine, and people all over the world who are suffering from the same tragedy, the poisons of greed and aversion and delusion. These are the three poisons. These are the three things that rule this world of samsara. Greed, hatred, and delusion. And every change begins within us first. So 
Have a beautiful day. Think of others. Be generous. Have harmlessness in your heart. And find joy in your day and happiness. So thank you so much. I'll see you tomorrow.